Jeff. What's up, dude? Hey, Daniel. How have you been? I'm doing good. We were just talking about our strategy for today. We're going to talk some student loan stuff. And you have your trusty abacus in case we get into the weeds. Have you talked about your abacus on the podcast? No, I don't don't think think I've ever spoken about the abacus, but... This is how Jeff does financial planning and student loan analysis. I was actually going to say, this is how your servicer calculates your income-driven plans. And that's why (laughs) it takes so long to talk Uh, to or Nelnet or anything like that. They grab their abacus and apparently you can do calculations on that thing. Yeah, I could do addition slower than I can on a calculator. So it's a real time saver there. Well, it looks cool. Well, so we're going to talk student loans again. I know we, we covered this. I guess it came out a few weeks ago in a prior show where we talked about some of the big changes that are going on with student loans. And today we're going to recap a little bit of those changes from a high level standpoint. Definitely, if you want to go check that out, we go into a little bit more depth on some of the latest changes. We'll link to that in the show notes if you want to dig into those. So today we're going to recap on some of those changes that have happened recently and then also talk about how that compares to kind of the way things were before. And I think we'll start to get into how that might affect your strategy because that's at the end of the day, that's what we're going for. We're trying to make sure you have a good strategy for your student loans based on all these changes. We'll probably like parse this out in a few different episodes. We don't want to throw too much at you all at once. But I think the big thing is we've had this long period of time where like you didn't really need to have a plan for your student loans. That was in some ways that was kind of nice. There was nothing going on. You know, you were not responsible for payments period. And even if you didn't make these payments, technically they counted as payments and they qualified for PSLF. And if you were going for that and there was no interest being charged, I mean, it was kind of a sweet setup there for a really long time where there was really, you know, not much responsibility and really no need to have a plan. Like all these plans we had made, we work with people individually one-on-one and help make these plans. And a lot of those plans we made were like, became irrelevant because of all, you know, this COVID forbearance and all these things. It could put us in this mode of like, let's play it by ear, see how things shake out for a long period of time. So I think a lot of people got in this mode of like, I don't need to have a plan for my student loans or it's not urgent. There was not any urgency with student loans. Yeah, I think not even just the forbearance, but that along the way now, things that used to make sense, there have been changes, right? Changes along the way while you didn't have to take any action, but a lot of different things that have come up in the last three years that now maybe what you had been planning on doing doesn't, not to say it doesn't make sense, but the landscape has changed and maybe there's another direction that's even better than before. So I think we'll get into some of those changes today. It's like we're trying to put a puzzle together with these student loans. Basically along the way, all these pieces got changed up on us. Like we're basically dealing with a completely different puzzle now than we were prior to COVID. It's very, it's a very different setup. And then I don't know how they framed it, like as they've rolled out these new rules, a lot of times the government frames these things as like simplified or better for everybody. In my experience, anytime these changes 
rollout, it's actually a lot more complicated. I think I'm suspicious that this is going to make things a lot more complicated just based on some of the provisions within these new options that are out there. But we'll talk about that a little bit as well. The main thing, though, is starting to educate yourself on the new setup. But before we get into the new setup, I wanted to recap on kind of like the old way of doing things. Hopefully, for those of you that have student loans, you're probably familiar with a lot of this terminology already. And and this is kind of just kind of a quick refresh on what things were before. But for starters, maybe we can break it down by like the PSLF crowd versus the not going for PSLF crowd. So that's kind of, if you have federal student loans in, from a planning standpoint, that's usually the starting point is like, are you going for PSLF or are you not? And really we should do three categories because there's like the maybe PSLF because, and that's actually where most people are, right? Because you don't know the future. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So most people are in the maybe PSLF and that's an important category. But some people are in the certain to go for PSLF and some people are in the certain that they're not going for PSLF. So I think that's a good starting point. So like generally speaking, let's maybe we'll start with like the certain to go for PSLF crowd. Like what was like the high level strategy we would typically see for that group of people on average? Yeah, so I would say maybe getting to a couple of basic things here is that there were a couple of different payment plans. You had options that either allowed you to file taxes separately and limit the amount of income being shown for a a payment, or you had ones that, uh, or you had a payment cap option as well. So there are a couple of different plans there. Sometimes the one that was better interest wise, wasn't as good on the payment cap or the ability to split income. Uh, And so that was the old way, right? And a lot of times that meant that the default for somebody going for loan forgiveness was to get on that pay-as-you-earn plan. Does that sound, Daniel? Daniel did a lot of these plans. Yeah, that was, it was pretty much every single time. If I, if we came to the conclusion that someone was 100% certain going for PSLF, it was a safe recommendation to be like, you should go for payee. If you're able to access it now, pay, pay as you earn or pay had some like limitations on like you had to be in it. You had to have your student loans after a certain date. And there were some, so some people that had older student loans didn't qualify. But for most people, you know, that were thinking about this, pay was the go-to for if you were certain for PSLF, mainly because it had this payment cap, like Jeff described, and you had that option to file separately, which were basically better, especially better options, especially if you were going for PSLF. Most people though, in my experience, Jeff's had a lot of conversations on student loans as well, but like my experience, I would say like, especially if you're talking to people, you know, if you're in training, like if you're in residency, most people are like, well, I might go for PSLF or probably will go for PSLF, but they're like, but I'm not sure. Or they'll say something like, well, I'm probably not going to go, but like, I'm not sure. So that gets into this, like, I don't know what uncertainty, like, I don't know if I'm going to go for PSLF. In my experience, that's the majority of people, but that changes the game a little bit, right? Right. And especially if we're talking, you know, pre-COVID type planning, 
that yeah. that group, you know, in training, fellowship, residents, the lean there would be we're uncertain. Revised pay as you earn was the way to go early on. Yep. And the reason for that being that it was a payment plan that was going to offer you basically the same payment as it would any other plan, the lowest possible payment for most cases, but it had an interest subsidy that went along with it. And that interest subsidy, so it was really good for a few years. And then afterwards, there was anything that was unpaid. Half of that interest went away. So it, it basically made it the nice middle ground holding pattern. Yeah. Or you weren't sure yet. And then you could always switch back in to pay as you were. And as long as your income was low enough by the time you got to that point or right. As Daniel mentioned, if you had the right combination of loans, like you're not too old, you're not too young, you're just right. Kind of like Goldilocks and three bears, right? The net effect of that is like with rate repayee after a stretch of residency or lower income, you ended up with a lower balance on your student loans in repayee than you did with payee, which if you're going to have to pay the whole thing off, is pretty appealing. But that it's goes back to the whole PSLF thing. It's like, the question is, are you going to have to pay the whole thing off? Right. And so if you were unsure, we would, we'd have suggested you may as well keep that option open because I would rather have the option, you know, when I go to choose my first attending position to then have $200,000 forgiven at some point rather than preemptively making a decision to refinance because I didn't know. Yeah. So repay you was like the lots of options, max options available plan. And then you had the crowd that was like, okay, well, I'm, Certainly not going for PSLF. Yeah, and I think in that case, the option, the leaning there was still, at least while we're in training, let's consider that income-driven repayment plan with that revised pays you earn mm -hmm. a prime candidate again, because as you had mentioned, your balance is not growing at the same rate it would have been effectively right. for lower interest loan than you would have. And you still have the option for the leniencies and protections that went with a federal loan. A lot but of people pushed a lot of people pushed for refinance in that category. Of yeah. People. Even in training. I'm glad we didn't advocate for that. I think that was a good call. Well, especially in hindsight, because COVID forbearance happened and that was a far better deal than no interest is better than some interest. So that was that repay option leaves that option open. The other thing too, in my experience, I've talked to more than a few people that said they're certainly not going for PSLF or they're 100% going for PSLF and then they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Both directions, right? Yep. So you don't know, in reality, you don't actually know for certain one way or the other, because we're talking about 10 years or, or less, but the future is unpredictable. So that was kind of the lay of the land for the several years leading up to COVID forbearance and then COVID forbearance hit. And then it was like, I don't know what we do. There was a lot of strategy too. We didn't get into the details, but there was a lot of strategies that kind of like went along with that, like how you did it. But basically COVID forbearance hit and it was like no interest, no payments due. They all count. And we're like, okay, just hang out and do nothing. I mean, that was the new strategy, right? Like hang out and do nothing, at least at first. Yeah, it was hang out, do nothing. Still, I mean, we were still making decisions based on the rules that were in place. And as, yeah. as 
But yeah, there was, you know, effectively there was not a whole lot of action that you would take that would make any difference. And as it turned out in the last, the last three years. Yep. And it, that drug on for quite a while and made it difficult to plan for, but it was a nice benefit. Now they came up, they came out with a lot of rules along the way that started. So the decisions started to happen, like with these waiver programs and there was some extra, there were some benefits that the government started to create basically along the lines of like the way that they marketed it was to make good on promises they had made initially with PSLF. So they kind of like simplified qualifications and made it a little easier to, and then they eliminated some of these like consolidation, you lose out on payments issues. And so there were some steps people took along the way to kind of clean up their loans that would have, or even still could be, really beneficial for, you know, your plan. And we've talked about those in prior shows as well, like some of these waiver programs in depth, but those are, those were temporary things. Some of them were temporary things. There was also some permanent changes though. And that, I think that's where we get into some of the new strategies that come into play. But before we talk strategy, like, so the, what are the biggest changes? I think the save plan is the biggest change going forward at least. Yeah, I think, let me go through really quickly chronologically and we'll just name the changes. Oh, you got them all in chrono- chronological order? They are, well, they're on my fingers in chronological order. Anyway. Dang. He is, so, he knows his student. Whew. There was the, the PSLF waiver. That one has come and gone, but it was a, an option that relaxed payments and, or the credit of payments. So basically anytime you made a payment counted. But now that we are in the period of what's called the IDR one-time account waiver, or adjustment. And so until the end of the year, this year, 2023, you do have the option of if you certify your employment for something, any payment you've made in the past and some options for deferment or forbearance will get credit towards PSLF or for long-term forgiveness. And consolidating loans also helps grant the longest history to all loans. So that's a real brief synopsis of that one. And then we get into in the last year to in six months, a few changes that are more permanent. And so back in November of 2022, there were some p- changes announced that number one, there was going to be a new payment plan. Details were pretty scarce at that point. But there was also the announcement that employment would be relaxed a little bit. There, the d- definition of employment for loan forgiveness for PSLF in particular, and in the most cases, that's applying to physicians in Texas and California. And then there's also the new payment plan. So those are the major ones that came up here. And so those are the three, the ones that, you know, are going to make the most difference going forward are, do I need to update my plan based on my employment? You know, does that matter now? Does my employment situation become eligible? And then also does the, how does this new payment plan factor into things? And so I think, does it help to just give a quick synopsis of that payment plan? Yeah, let's do that. And then we're going to, we're going to call it a day after that. And then in our next conversation, we're going to get into some of the strategies. So you'll have to check out that one to get into the strategies. But for today, we'll wrap up with going through like what this save plan actually looks like. Perfect.
And so, yes, the save plan, saving on a valuable education plan. Uh, I got to get that one down. I don't even know the, what it stands for yet. Yeah, so, saving uh, you on heard a valuable it. education plan. Saving on a valuable education, S-A-V-E, save. And Thank you, government. And so that is a plan that it has been introduced as of the summer of 2023 here. And effectively, it has become the plan that will be the lowest payment for most people. Lowest payment option for most individuals. And the reason for that being the way payments are calculated, it adds in more of a discount before it factors in payments so that the actual payment calculation is lower. Um, at this point, all income-driven repayment plans, including this new one, allow you to separate income. So there's no more plan out there that says, hey, this takes into account the whole household if you're filing taxes separate, which was an advantage of some of the old plans, right? Where you could do that, but you know, other plans you couldn't. This plan also does not have a payment cap. So it's a downside. Though, yes, the downside is there for that. So you can't, there's no limit to how high the payments can go, but the payments compared to other plans are effectively lower. And then it counts for PSLF. And it has a, the best interest subsidy of all the plans that are out there right now, where anything, any unpaid interest that you would have been, that would have accrued is now forgiven. So let's say you know, I had $250,000 in loans and my payment is calculated at $20 a month. That is pretty obviously not going to cover my interest <laughs> on a loan if I have a $20 payment on a $200,000 loan. In that case, no interest accrues. No interest is charged basically on that. Effectively a 0% interest rate. So those are the big things. It can be forgiven after 25 years so of on any so you don't it doesn't matter for employment there so if you pay on it for 25 years an exciting prospect for most right but an option and then if you happen to be a lucky borrower that took out twelve thousand dollars or less uh that doesn't apply to many but uh maybe if you had undergrad loans and that's all you took out uh, you had twelve thousand dollars or less those are also forgiven after 10 years no matter what your employment is. So it's kind of an interesting plan there. Yeah. So it's overall, it's like 90% of the good things in the old repayment plans and then 10% of the bad things, maybe. I mean, broadly speaking. So the, I think the big downside is that they, you don't get the payment cap and that might not apply ever in your life. So you can calculate that, what, you know, your payment, what and you can back into the income necessary to cap you out on payments. So, you know, if you can project out roughly speaking, what your specialty would, would hypothetically make, you can start to get an idea of that, whether or not that is in play. But if that work is never in play for you, then it's irrelevant. And it's basically only improvements. Now, what if that is in play? Well, we're starting to get into strategies here, but because there, <laughs> there's a lot of different, like I was saying at the very beginning, like I think a lot of times these are positioned a little bit oversimplified, maybe. I don't know. It's like, this is a improvement on things and it they make 
broad sweeping statements and maybe it is an improvement for 80% of people, but like, how do you know if you're 80% and then like, what does it look like? What are the exceptions? And then like, how do I know if I, if this, this applies to me and what can I do about it? So we're going to talk about those a little bit more next time where we get into some of the strategies that apply to all these new changes. Does that sound like a plan, Jeff? Oh, I can't wait. We got anything else to add before we jump off? Nope. I'm excited to go into strategy next time. Yeah, I like talking about strategy. That's the fun stuff. So we'll catch up here next time. Please know that anything I've said today in this podcast should not be considered advice. It is completely for educational and entertainment purposes only. It would be best to view me as just another guy talking about money on the internet. For advice, please consult your advisors. If you don't happen to have a financial advisor already, I happen to know a firm that's absolutely fantastic. It's actually the firm I started and currently run now, Ren Financial Planning. And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting. You can find more info about us at www.renfinancial.com.